0: Well, if you would, take your Bibles and open them up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, and our text will include verses 1 through 22. Acts 4, beginning in verse 1 and working our way through verse 22, that's our goal, that is our ambition. This morning, when you arrive there, because this is the Word of God, and you are the people of God on the Lord's day, if you are able, would you please stand to hear from the God who still speaks in His Word, who still graciously instructs His sons and His daughters, even this morning. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Luke Wrote as he was carried along by God's Spirit, these words. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about five thousand. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, "By what a, by what power, excuse me, by what power or by what name do you do these things?" Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, astonished and they recognized that they had been with jesus but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them they had nothing to say in opposition but when they had commanded them to leave the council they conferred with one another saying what shall we do with these men years old. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand, church family, forever. You may be seated. Sometimes there's just nothing like reading the word of God. It is, as one theologian has said, the only infallible portion of the worship service. This is true. Well, church family, authentic spiritual growth is consistently accompanied by opposition. Have you considered this? This is true from the time one is converted to Jesus Christ. I remember becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, and after that time, there were several months that followed, characterized by a degree of loss, characterized by an amount of loneliness, ridicule, and personal sacrifice. After all, I had moved, by God's grace, I had moved around the age of 17, just before I was 17 years of age, I had moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so opposition surfaced. Loss was demanded. Sacrifice began to characterize my experience as a high school student. Painless growth rather than being a sign of spiritual health, is often a sign of spiritual illness and compromise. On the other hand, when the church, I mentioned the example of personal growth and opposition, we can apply the same thing to corporate growth and opposition. When the church grows... Through a steadfast commitment to the authority of Jesus Christ, opposition is sure to follow. Mark it well. The book of Acts is a testimony in some respects to this pattern. Acts chapter 2, you may recall, the events of Pentecost, led to spiritual growth, explosive growth really, consisting of the addition of 3,000 people. 3,000 people were added to the church on the day of Pentecost through Peter's sermon. Additionally, we discover by Acts chapter 4 verse 5, our text, that the church has grown to include 5,000 men, not including women and children, which means probably the count was somewhere around 15,000, 15,000 people now trusting in Jesus Christ and becoming members of the church in and around Jerusalem. Well, here in Acts chapter 4 and throughout the rest of the book of Acts, the Spirit tells the story not of painless growth, but of painful, opposition-filled growth. That story begins here in Acts chapter 4. And that opposition often is the reaction of others To gospel proclamation. To the declaration that Jesus Christ is the supreme Lord over heaven and earth. In Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 22, we discover that this, this opposition is in fact a reaction to what I've just suggested to you. The claim that Jesus Christ is indeed the ultimate authority In the church and even around the world. Those who do not know Jesus Christ, as we're going to see here in just a little while, don't oftentimes oppose people who trust in Jesus simply for trusting in Jesus. Those authorities in particular who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to his authority often oppose. Not simply those who trust in Jesus, but those who trust in Jesus and proclaim the supreme authority of Jesus Christ over all other authorities. That's where the rub really is, as we're going to see in the text. So, if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to make our way through this text in four stages. You can jot these down if you like. First, we will notice in the text... Opposition to the authority of Jesus. We'll start there. Verses 1 through 4. Opposition to the authority of Jesus. Secondly, we will discover the exclusivity of the authority of Jesus. In addition to the opposition to the authority of Jesus, we will observe the exclusivity of the authority of Jesus. And this will be in verses 5 through 12. Third. We will look together at the expiration, the expiration of the authority of the temple leaders, the expiration of the authority of the temple leaders in verses 13 through 22. And then finally, after opposition to the authority of Jesus first, second, the exclusivity of the authority of Jesus Third, the expiration of the authority of the temple leaders. We will conclude our time together with a couple applications of the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. My desire there is just to bring all of this full circle and ask the question, how is it that these truths grow legs and walk in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ Today, Well, let's begin with first, opposition to the authority of Jesus. If you would look down at the text, verses 1 through 3, and we'll read that again. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, verse 3. And they arrested Them, That is, they arrested Peter and John, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, remember what has just taken place. For some of you, you've been with us. Perhaps others of you have not. So maybe this is new information to you. What has just happened in Acts chapter 3 is Peter and John, as they're making their way into the temple to spend time in prayer, they met a man. And this man had been crippled from birth, and he was customarily placed outside of the temple to beg alms. If you were crippled in the first century, your livelihood depended on the generosity of other people. And so this man sat outside the temple, watched others go into the temple, and requested alms, demonstrations of charity from others who were entering. The temple. Well, the man requested charity or alms from Peter and John. And if you've been with us, you know the story in Acts chapter 3. Peter, speaking on behalf of both Peter and John, actually, instead of granting gold or silver or material possessions to this man, do something far better. Peter says to him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man who had been crippled from birth now is walking and leaping and praising God alongside Peter and John as they enter the temple. So Peter and John go into the temple and now they're accompanied by this man who had been crippled from birth who customarily sat outside of the temple. Everybody knew the man. They recognized the man. Additionally, of course, this This attracted a large crowd, and in response to this crowd, Peter preaches another sermon declaring that Jesus is indeed the Christ in explanation of the miracle. The man was healed not on account of the power or piety of Peter and John. The man was healed on account of the power and piety of Jesus Christ. So this is where we are now, and this preaching in response to this miracle, annoys a certain group of people. It annoys the Jewish leaders, and in particular, the temple leaders, those who are overseeing the temple. Now, remember the contrast. If you've been with us, remember the contrast between Jesus and this temple. And Luke is doing so much as he's carried along by the Spirit of God, as we're going to continue to see this morning, why does this annoy the Jewish leaders? Well, notice verse two. It annoys the Jewish leaders, according to the Spirit of God speaking through Luke, because Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Notice that it's not technically the miracle or the sign of the crippled man now walking that annoys the Jewish leaders. It's the explanation of the miracle. It's the cause of the miracle. They don't have a problem with the healing per se. They have a problem with the one who healed. They have a problem with Jesus Christ. And so they take Issue. They are bothered that the apostles are proclaiming Christ's resurrection. And, and by the way, presumably, just because of the language Luke uses, presumably not just Christ's resurrection, but the coming resurrection when Jesus Christ returns. Peter and John are proclaiming this, and the Jewish leaders have a big problem with it. Because, of course, this has ramifications for them as leaders over the temple, they're losing a bit of their authority as we're gonna to continue to see. Well, since it was late in the day, Luke tells us that the authorities had the apostles arrested and placed into custody until the following day. But I want you to notice that, that this opposition that was experienced initially in Acts chapter four and will continue to be experienced throughout the book of Acts, this opposition in no way hindered the growth of the church. In fact, it is through this opposition that Christ is building the church. It's by means of opposition and resistance, that Christ often builds the church. We read in verse four, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000, as we mentioned a moment ago, approximately 15,000 people now. So next we find, in addition to the opposition to the authority of Jesus, we find the exclusivity of the authority of Jesus. Secondly, the exclusivity of the authority of Jesus. Look with me at verses five and six. On the next day, their rulers and elders, that is the rulers and the elders of the Jewish people, and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And then Luke mentions for us, verse 6, particular people with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. These names may ring a bell if you've read through the Gospels. And John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, don't miss that. The high priest's family gathered for this. This is a showdown between Jesus and the religious authorities. Again, if you've been reading through the Gospels, you know this is nothing new. The difference now is rather than facing them in his earthly ministry, he faces them in his heavenly ministry through the church. As Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father after having been raised and ascended to the father's right hand. So these Jewish religious leaders regather that following day and they're led by the high priest, his associates and his family. As an aside, I want to mention this to you. Some of you have a study Bible and perhaps your study Bibles mention mentioned this. Annas was not officially the high priest at this time. So why does Luke call him the high priest? Well, the reason why he calls in the high priest, I suspect, is that it was common for high priests to maintain their titles after they exited office. But perhaps even more relevant is this. Annas exercised a tremendous amount of influence in the first century tremendous amount of influence. I don't want to get into all of the historical details here. But Annas was high priest until about 15 or 16 AD. But even after that, he continued to function informally as the high priest. Even when Caiaphas, who was his son-in-law, by the way, Caiaphas. uh, When Caiaphas was, was leading as high priest, Annas is still making decisions. Caiaphas is still at times deferring to Annas, and so this is probably why Luke calls him the high priest. What Luke is saying is really, functionally, Annas is the man. And then Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the high priestly family, all of them though, however, are arrayed against the church, and of course, finally, are arrayed against Jesus. As I mentioned to you, you may recognize some of the names here, Annas and Caiaphas in particular. After all, Jesus was evaluated after his arrest before Annas and Caiaphas. John records this, John chapter 18, verse 13, and verse 24. This is no coincidence. It's no coincidence the apostles are following in the steps of their master. Just as Jesus said in John 15 verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Don't forget this, Jesus says. He goes on to explain why he is saying this. He says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. You are signing up as a Christian. You need to know this this morning. If you are a Christian, you have signed up. If you're not yet a Christian, this is part of what it means to submit your life to Christ. You are signing up to follow in the steps of your master. Which means that eternal glory comes to you through the path. Of suffering, But a glory, of course, that dwarfs the temporary suffering you may experience as a follower of Jesus. Notice what these Jewish leaders ask Peter and John in verse 7. By what power... And I almost gave it away when I was reading, actually, because I inserted the word authority. I realized, I thought that was an interesting slip. Verse 7, by what power... Or by what name do you do this? Because the real question has everything to do with authority. The real question is this if we could kind of capture the idea of what they say Who gave you the authority to heal and, more importantly, to teach? Who do you think you are? You're, you're uneducated, you're common men. Why are you teaching the people? You've got no business doing so. Peter responds. At the conclusion of verse 8 through verse 12, with these words, we read them a moment ago. It's worth reading them again. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Then he goes on to say, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter boldly proclaims the same message that he proclaimed to the gathering of Jewish people, just one chapter prior to this. And the same message he preached in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. He preaches the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He preaches Christ as the Messiah. Christ as the one who lived and died and was raised and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Christ as the fulfillment of all of the scriptures. This is Peter's message and he never shies away from it. He maintains it. In fact, as you read through the book of Acts, you'll find out that, and we'll find out together, that so many of these sermons have a tremendous amount of overlap. Why? Because the epicenter of the message never changes. It's Christ and him crucified. Just as the Apostle Paul said, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Elsewhere, we proclaim him Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we might present every man mature in Christ. Christ is our message. Christ is the message of the Apostle Peter. And he will become, in the book of Acts, the message of the Apostle Paul in a few chapters. Additionally, Peter declares the same thing he's already declared. Verse 10, he says that this is the Jesus you crucified. You're guilty. But God raised him from the dead in fulfillment of, you can jot this down, in fulfillment of Psalm 118, verse 22. And this is the text from which Peter quotes here. Remember, the apostles are teaching us throughout the book of Acts how to read the Old Testament Christianly. They're teaching us how to interpret all of the Old Testament through the lens of the coming of Jesus Christ. They're teaching us how to read the Bible. And so he does it right here, Psalm 118 verse 22, which says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the imagery is that of a building. Now remember, where is this controversy taking place as a whole? In and around the temple. So the imagery isn't simply that of a building, the imagery is that of a temple. The cornerstone was a portion of the building that was used as a standard and a foundation for the rest of the structure. Peter says that Christ... Christ, who has been rejected by the builders, the Jewish leaders. Christ has been, has become, the cornerstone for a new building, a new temple. And of course, as some of you know, this new temple, according to other passages of Scripture, becomes very clearly the church in Christ. Anyone who's being built up on or in Christ Jesus now becomes a part of the temple. And so the apostle Peter speaks in this way in 1 Peter chapter two, you are spiritual stones. Remember this? Or the apostle Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse 16, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. And so, this is what's happening. The exclusivity of the authority of Jesus is being declared. And simultaneously, we're going to see this in just a moment the expiration of the authority of the temple leaders is being highlighted. Verse 12 is perhaps the most explicit of all regarding the exclusivity of Christ and his authority. Peter boldly declares that there is salvation in no one else. That there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And I said this a moment ago, I think it's it's worth highlighting right now. Christianity, friends, Christianity has not typically and historically been opposed because we claim that Jesus is an authority, Christians have rarely been persecuted for believing that Jesus is a savior. Claiming to worship a Lord Jesus Christ is not typically what ruffles the feathers of worldly authorities. Opposition, opposition has come because we believe and declare that Jesus is the authority the savior and the lord over heaven and earth because you see proclaiming the sufficiency of Christ's authority is by implication proclaiming the insufficiency of other authorities proclaiming the supremacy of Christ's authority implies proclaiming the subordination of lesser authorities. That's where the rub really is. Pluralism, that is, you know, the belief that there are a number of potential good ways through which we can attain to God or attain salvation. Pluralism is not new to our cultural climate. It just isn't. I hear people say from time to time that one of the challenges we face uniquely as, as Americans in the 21st century is Is the challenge of relativism or pluralism and postmodernism and all the other isms that come along with this cultural climate, these philosophical assumptions? Ancient Rome was very much like our culture. Ancient Rome permitted the worship of many gods, many gods. And the practice of many religions, one of the strengths of the Roman Empire was that they permitted so many others to do what they wanted to do with reference to religion as long as they did so alongside of the Roman gods. You see, it's okay. It's okay if you worship the god of Judaism as long as you submit to the pagan gods. You pinch incense to the pagan gods. In fact, you can pick up, in the early church, we have a number of these that have, that have uh, been preserved by God's goodness and mercy to the present day. You can pick up some of the early martyr stories and you'll find these early martyr stories. One of them, for example, is the martyrdom of Polycarp. You should read this. It's short, The martyrdom of Polycarp, you look thrilled about it, I can tell by looking at you. Don't let the name scare you. You'll find in the martyrdom of Polycarp a tremendous demonstration of the Lord's mercy. There are many other, by the way, martyrdom accounts. But what you'll find is you have these Christians that are put on trial. I was reading a few of them this past week just to refresh my memory. Justin Martyr, we have an account of him alongside of others. We have an account of of, uh, sisters like... Uh, Perpetua, or Felicity, who gave their life for the gospel. We have an account in North Africa of the, of the skeleton martyrs, a series of, I think it's about 12 people, seven men maybe and five women, if I recall, that gave up their life. If you've ever got an email from me, the conclusion of my email, I think, reads sometimes, I don't remember, I don't remember if it's my personal account maybe, um, or my church account. It, it's a quote from one of the skeleton martyrs. Anyway, I've gotten off now. Um <laughs> They've influenced me, can you tell? The quote is this, what I am, I want to remain. That's the quote. And it's what Secunda, a woman who trusted in Jesus Christ, said when she was asked to recant her faith. And that if she'll just worship the other gods alongside of her God, she'll be spared. And someone says, do you wish to remain a Christian? And she says, What I am, I want to remain. What a statement. But all that to say, these early accounts show us that the reason the church was persecuted at various times and to various varying degrees is not simply, not simply because early Christians claimed the authority of Christ. It's that, early Christians claimed the exclusivity of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. They declared that while they may submit to lesser authorities, they will not worship lesser authorities. And they refused to pinch incense to the Roman gods. For this reason, they gave up their lives, many of them, serving Christ in death. So pluralism is nothing new. This is not unique to our cultural climate. The church has been here before and it did quite well. I'm confident that it will continue to do well through the ministry of Christ. I would be remiss at this point if I didn't say to you, if you're here this morning, And you've not submitted your life to the authority of Christ. Not as an authority alongside of other authorities. You see, that's not what we're saying. It isn't that you can have Jesus and a host of other authorities. No, no. It's that all other authorities are to be seen as subservient to Christ's authority. If you've not yet submitted your life to the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the supreme authority of Jesus Christ, if you've not trusted in Christ's death in your place and for your sins, if you've not come to believe that this Jesus was buried and raised in glorious power on the third day, and if you've not responded to the good news of this message by surrendering yourself to Christ, we encourage you to do that this morning. Don't leave here without at least having a conversation with someone who has done that by God's grace, who perhaps can interact with you about what it means to submit to Christ's authority, to find life in him, life eternal, joy and peace. One of the ways you can do that is on your way out this morning, if you take a left and before you leave this building on the right-hand side, there is that room called Crossroads. It's labeled very clearly above the entrance. Go in there and have a conversation with one of our elders. I may be able to get back there as well. Come in there and talk to us about what it means to yield to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and to trust in Christ perhaps for the very first time. Well, first, we have seen opposition to the authority of Jesus in the text. Second, we looked at the exclusivity of the authority of Jesus. Third, now we find the expiration of the authority of the temple leaders. And we've already seen some of this. This becomes even clearer as we move through the text. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, I love this, that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say. In opposition. So here again, we find that the authority of Jesus supersedes and eclipses the authority of these temple leaders and these Jewish religious leaders. After all, it was uneducated and common men who were boldly declaring Christ to them. It will be uneducated and common men they cannot silence. Some of the Christians, of course, will be educated. And less than common in the early church. The apostle Paul is one of them. Peter and John, uneducated, common, but they will not be silenced concerning the authority of Jesus Christ. And notice also that this miracle, again, remember this is all in response to the miracle and the declaration of the authority of Jesus as an explanation of that miracle that occurred outside of the temple gates. These Jewish leaders were not able to replicate these kinds of miracles. This was a man who sat outside the temple for over 40 years, give or take, begging alms. They couldn't heal him, but Christ through the church could and did And don't miss the almost passing observation that Luke records at the end of verse 13. You got it when we were reading it, perhaps. Verse 13, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Are others able to say this about you, Christian? When others hear you speak and observe your life, no, no, not that they conclude he's perfect, Or she never sins. That's not the point. If that were the case, they would not have concluded this. No, no. Do they recognize he's been with Jesus? She's been with Jesus. Or do you reflect more of the characteristics of our culture? Characteristics that are often contrary to the character of Christ. And we know that, don't we, church? We know this struggle and we sense it daily. Husbands, are your wives able to say about you, he's been with Jesus? Wives, are your husbands able to conclude she has been with the master parents, consider this with me, please. What your children need far more than a parent that is well-versed in cultural trends, what they need far more than a parent that is immersed in social media, is a parent who has been with Jesus. Charles Spurgeon once said concerning John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, a book, by the way, we sell in our bookstore and a book you should read at some point in your Christian life. If you haven't read it, go after the service. Buy Pilgrim's Progress and begin reading it. The bookstore, by the way, is located just to the right as you walk out. Charles Spurgeon said this about John Bunyan, read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, why, this man is a living Bible. Spurgeon goes on to say, prick him anywhere. Mm -hmm. His blood is Bibline. (laughs) The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. That's what it means to be recognized as someone who has been with Jesus. May it be that God in his mercy grants us the aspiration and ambition in life to have such a reputation. Attributing, of course, if we ever have such a reputation, all of it, to the grace and the mercy of God given to us in Christ. Well, the problem is Jewish Religious leaders faced, as Luke tells us in verses 15 and 16 is, they cannot deny the miracle that a crippled man from birth is now walking in the name of Jesus Christ. They can't deny that. So they decide in verse 17 to warn the apostles to speak no more to anyone in the name of Jesus. Good idea. I know, let's do this. Let's not say anything about the miracle because there are a lot of people who recognize that this is a miracle. Let's just teach the ones through whom Jesus performed the miracle to say nothing more about Jesus. They just need to keep the secret that Jesus has worked through them. At least they claim. And then look with me at verses 19 and 20. Peter and John answered them. Perhaps a little sarcasm here. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. <laughs> For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I want you to notice that Peter and John's response highlights one of the central functions of the Christian. You notice that? One of the central activities of the follower of Jesus Christ. Those who believe the gospel of Christ are called by Christ to proclaim the gospel to others. Always, always. Those who believe the gospel, proclaim the gospel. So what Peter and John are saying is this. We trust in Jesus. We have to proclaim Jesus. It's that simple. We can't help but speak of the things we have seen and heard. Of course, for them, they had seen a great deal and heard a great deal for us. Yes, indeed, we've seen some things, but we've heard great things through the apostles and through Scripture. And so the same applies to us. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So the Jewish leaders permitted the apostles to go because they found no way to punish them. After all, many people had observed this miracle. Well, let's close our time with a couple applications. Let's do that. And we won't spend long here just wrapping all of this together and asking the question, how is it that the Spirit of God is instructing us specifically as God's people this morning? Let me give you two in conclusion. First, remain committed to the authority of Christ no matter the cost. I'm taken by how easy it is to say that when my life isn't currently being threatened. by declaring the authority of Jesus. So forgive me as I make this journey with you. Perry and the rest of First Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee remain committed to the exclusivity of Christ, the authority of Christ no matter the cost. Maintain by God's grace the belief and the proclamation that there is no other avenue for salvation except for faith in Christ. Don't give an inch there. There are many items concerning which we might compromise. If you ask me a whole host of theological questions I will tear my theology and there are some things I believe I think scripture teaches but if you were to hold a gun to my head and you asked me for my view concerning the nature and the timing of the millennial reign of Christ I think I'll respond with something like well it depends what is your view But may it be that in God's goodness, if ever given the stewardship of surrendering my life on account of the authority and exclusivity of Jesus Christ that I joyfully declare in the face of death, Christ is Lord. And what I am, I want to remain. May that be the case for you, dear brother, dear sister. Remain committed to the authority of Christ, no matter the cost. And then secondly, expect opposition as a follower of Christ. Expect opposition as a follower of Christ. Not only is opposition inevitable, it is how Christ builds the church. It is how he's built the church for a couple thousand years. I suspect it will continue to be how he builds The church, what this means, what this means is that if America continues to move contrary to essential Christian belief and practice, resulting in isolation and even persecution, the church will be stronger because of it. It doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean we we vote for it, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying, let's cast our votes for the one who's going to get us there the quickest. No. No, we'll trust the Lord to bring persecution when persecution needs to come. However, when it comes, when it comes, may God give us the grace not to lament that it has come or mourn the loss of something America once was, but may it be that we embrace suffering as a friend through whom our Savior is conforming us into His image. Young people, I want to say something to you for just a moment. Those of you who are teenagers or they're around, maybe you're just before turning 13, If you are submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life, if your life reflects the authority and exclusivity of Jesus, you will suffer rejection. I promise you. So know that. And know that Christ is better than the acceptance of your peers. Know that Christ is better than any amount of popularity this world promises you. Christ is better than any boyfriend or girlfriend in this life. Christ is better. And so give it all up for Christ. And when it happens, remember the words of the Apostle Peter who said, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that has come upon you. You hear that, young people? Don't be surprised when you're not popular because you love Jesus Christ. As though something strange were happening to you, Peter says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We've got to close. I think I needed this sermon more than anyone else in the room. So thank you for allowing me to preach to myself. Let's close with a stanza and then we'll transition and have the privilege of partaking of Christ through the Lord's Supper in just a moment. And together declaring the authority of Christ as we partake of the Lord's Supper. A stanza from a hymn that I've often quoted. I've quoted this hymn, I think, more than any other hymn. It's written by Samuel Stone in the 19th century. And the hymn is called, The Church is One Foundation. Here's the stanza. The church shall never perish Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and strive to see her fail against both foe and traitor, she ever shall prevail. Let's pray. Father in heaven we give you thanks this morning for the reminder in your word that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Give us faith and give us boldness as we proclaim the authority of Jesus Christ. In his name and for his sake, we pray in all God's people said, amen. amen.